take a look at an Old Testament scripture. I'm going to turn a little bit here. So, by the way, those of you who are new, welcome. Um, I'm Pastor Gimpy. I <laughs> broke my Achilles. I actually snapped the thing in half. Um, it was on a humanitarian mission to the Dominican Republic. Uh, actually, I was goofing around with my son at a waterfall, and I jumped over a rock, and I broke it. So it had nothing to do with missions. But it sounds pretty good. I went to the DR on a mission trip and came back injured. That sounds pretty holy, but no, it had nothing to do with that. Um, so that's why this is here, and I've got about a month of this to go, and then I'll be back. But today, we're going to take a look at uh, Malachi chapter 3, 7 through 12. Now, if you remember, the entire history of Israel is one of they fall into idolatry, they sin, God raises up a prophet, they repent, they come back to the Lord, then they fall into idolatry and sin again. And here, this is the, the second to last chapter in the Old Testament. And Israel has fallen away again, and God is calling them back. And God says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? How, how can we practically return to you? Our hearts do want to come back, Lord. What, how, what can we show you that we're returning? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, some texts say, uh, in your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. How can we show that we're returning to you? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And quite coincidentally, this, uh, this just coincidentally turned out to be the text that we look at the week of taxes being due um, April 15th. So maybe this will help in your tax planning, too, for next year. But um, we're going to take a look at the, at the concept of tithing and giving. Now, um, Valley Brook has been blessed in this last uh, year and actually even shorter than that to see a lot of new faces, love to see new people. And um, not everybody comes from the same background. In fact, if you could say, what breed are you of a church? Well, we're a mutt. You know, we've got uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, probably some former Satanists here. Who knows? I mean, we got people all over the map, and we can't assume that everybody is on the same page theologically on every issue. So it's kind of fun being pastor because I get lots of fun questions. And one question is, well, what about this whole tithing thing? What does the Bible teach about tithing? Tithing. Are we obligated to tithe? 
Now, let me begin by pointing out that there are some pretty diverse theological opinions on the issue of tithing. By the way, when I say tithing, um, what do I mean? Well, to tithe would be to look at whatever comes in as income, and we realize that, yes, while we work, ultimately God is the provider. That's God's money. It's not your money. That's God's money. Of that money that he brings into you, giving 10% of it back to him. That would be what, what tithing is. Now, the question is, are Christians obligated to tithe? Now, why is that even a question? Because here God says you're under a curse if you don't tithe. Well, uh, that was written to Israel, right? And clearly there was a covenant God made with Israel, and then he made a new covenant with the church. And theologians argue over how much continuity there is between that old covenant and the new covenant. Do things transfer from the old to the new, or is it, hey, that was then, this is now? And the command to tithe is not found in the New Testament. So the question is, are we under obligation to tithe in the Old Testament, or is that, that was old and, and this is new? Now, let me give you some, uh, some interesting opinions. Um, John MacArthur says this, New Testament believers are never commanded to tithe. The guideline for our giving to God and his work is found in 2 Corinthians 9. Now, this I say to he who sows, uh, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So MacArthur would be one who would be under the opinion that that was specifically, the tithe was for Israel. We're in a different era. All right. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, um, he's kind of becoming the go-to guy. He's at the Southern Seminary, uh, writer of many commentaries, brilliant guy, Schreiner. There are decisive reasons for concluding that Christians are not obligated to tithe today. The tithe is irretrievably tied to the Old Covenant, which is no longer in force. Another guy, Andreas Kostenberger. He is the director of doctoral studies at Southern, uh, Southeastern Baptist Seminary. He says, in our previous discussion of the Old and New Testament passages regarding tithing, we concluded that, that the view that Christians are required to give at least 10% of their income lacks adequate support from the biblical data. This is not to say that Christians are not required to give, but that no scripture commands a certain percentage as the minimum giving requirement. So if you are looking for a quote to give you justification not to tithe, there, I gave you three of them. Okay. Now you go, Pastor, are you nuts? Why would you even present these views? Uh, it's going to let people off the hook, right? Well, um, first of all, we live in the age of information. If a, if a Christian really wants to study this issue, if you're really saying, God, what does your word say? All you've got to do is Google tithe, and you're going to find out that there's a diversity of opinion out there. You can't hide the diversity of opinion from, from people. Okay? So rather than hide it, let's just look at it. This is what these guys believe, that that was, that was uh, the Old Testament uh, requirement, and we're in a different age right now. Okay? Now, um, that's one reason we want to look at it. Second reason, though, I want to expose you to these guys' view is because this view doesn't necessarily lead 
to a lower standard of giving, but to a higher standard of giving. Okay? In other words, we're going to revisit some of these guys, and you're going to, you're going to see that they're, they're not arguing for a lower standard, but they're going to ultimately end up arguing for a higher standard. So before you go, I found my quotes to base my giving on, be careful. Okay? Now, you go, what's really the issue here? Okay? There's, a, there's actually a, a, a big theological issue here. And let me put a picture up. All right? Remember, God, through Moses, gave the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but a bunch of laws. And that he made a covenant with Israel. About 1500 uh, B.C. God, through Moses, gave all these laws. Okay? Now, we are in the New Covenant era. The question is, what transfers law-wise from the old to the new? Okay? And uh, obviously not all the laws transfer, or you would be sacrificing animals in your backyard. Right? You know the on-fire Christian who is going to read my Bible and obey it, and they get in Leviticus, and they go, all right, come here, Fluffy. <laughs> Slow down. You know, you've got to understand the big picture here. Not all the laws transfer. So the question is, what laws do transfer? Okay. Now, theologians um, use a system where they say, well, let's take those Old Testament laws, let's divide them into three categories. The civil laws, the moral laws, and the ceremonial laws. Okay. Now, um, let's first of all talk about ceremonial laws. That would be all the ceremony given to Israel, the things that they did. They didn't even know why they had to do these things in many cases. But we find out when Christ came, all the ceremonies pointed to him. They were fulfilled in Christ. The priesthood was, we no longer need priests. By the way, those churches who have priests, they don't get it. All right? Can I be, can I be blunt? There's no priests in the New Testament. There's one priest. Actually, he's Jesus. He's our high priest. But the whole priesthood thing pointed to Christ, the high priest. Right? The, uh, uh, the whole king, uh, all the kings pointed to the coming king. All the festivals and the holidays, the Passover, it all pointed to Christ, and it's been fulfilled. So we are no longer under obligation to keep the ceremonial laws. Now, the other thing were civil laws. You know, Israel was not just like a church. It was a nation. It had borders. It had armies. It had governments. And uh, not only were there laws that, were, that stated what's right or wrong, but penalties were attached to those laws. If you committed adultery in the Old Testament, guess what the civil penalty was? Stoning. Right? As we move from the old era into the new era... Now, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, we read about a guy who was committing sexual immorality in the Corinthian church. And does he say stone him? No. Paul says exercise church discipline. Put him outside of the church. So the, the morality of committing adultery, do not commit adultery, that still remains with us. But the civil penalty, that no longer transfers. So what does transfer? Well, you know, not all, not all theologians agree with this threefold division of the law, but I think you would have to agree that God cannot change his moral standard from one age to another. Adultery is always wrong. Murder is always wrong. Okay? So the moral law has to transfer. 
Okay. Now, here's the question. Now, by, by the way, so 90% of the Old Testament laws, what, what transfers to the new? 90% of them, it's real easy. Anything involving ceremony, it's been fulfilled in Christ. The civil penalties have been fulfilled in Christ. The moral law transfers. 90% of the laws are very easy, but there are some difficult ones. What do you do with the Sabbath? You see, there are, are theologians who would say, well, the Sabbath, that's part of the Ten Commandments. That's all moral law. Therefore, we are to keep the Sabbath today. There are others who would say, no, the Sabbath, that was part of the ceremonial law. It's a picture of salvation by faith, by resting, not by working. Therefore, in the New Testament, we're not under the obligation to keep the Sabbath. And kind of your view on that tells you if you fall more in one camp or the other. Okay? Infant baptism. There's no example of infants being baptized in the New Testament. So those who baptize infants, how do they build their case? They say, well, that Israel circumcised babies. Therefore, the sign of the covenant was given to babies in the old. That transfers to the new. Okay? I, I would say... Um, that while there are certain parallels between circumcision and baptism, it's not the same thing, so we don't use that parallel. Now, what about the tithe? What about God saying to Israel, you are cursed because you do not bring the full tithe to the storehouse? Well, if you view it as civil law, as a tax upon Israel, then that was for Israel and the percentage doesn't transfer. If you view it as a moral example or moral law, then it does transfer. Right? Now, I read you a couple of opinions of theologians who, uh, who would say the tithe was a law given to Israel. It's not given to, to uh, the church. Let me give you the opinion of a uh, well-known theologian, R.C. Sproul, he believes that the, the tithe is part of the moral law, and it does transfer. All right? Here's Sproul on tithing. Okay. Um, recently, I read an article that gave an astonishing statistic that I find difficult to believe is accurate. It declared that of all the people in America who identify themselves as evangelical Christians, only 4% of them return a tithe to God. If that statistic is accurate, it means that 96% of professing evangelical Christians regularly, systematically, habitually, and impenitently rob God of what belongs to him. It also means that 96% of us are, for this reason, exposing ourselves to a divine curse upon our lives. Now, he goes on to say, well, why do people, why do Christians in America say they don't tithe? And they, they give the, well, that was Old Testament, this is New, New Testament. That was Old Covenant, this is New Covenant. He addresses that, and he says, if anything, the structure of the New Covenant requires a greater commitment to financial stewardship before God than that which was required in the Old Covenant. That is to say, the starting point of Christian giving is the tithe. The tithe is not an ideal that only a few people reach, but rather should be the base minimum from which we progress. So he says, you know, that whole Old Covenant, New Covenant, he goes, you know, Jesus says don't murder, or the Old Testament says don't murder. Jesus raises the bar. Don't hate anybody. Don't be angry with anybody. 
The Old Covenant said don't commit adultery. New Covenant, no lust. Old Covenant, 10% Sproul would say, that's, you know, let's raise the bar, not lower the bar. So the first reason people give is because of this whole covenant thing. The second reason people don't tithe is they say, I can't afford it. Boy, I'd love to, but I just can't afford it. And he goes on to say, what that statement really means is that they cannot pay their tithe and pay all their other expenses they've incurred. Again, in their minds, the tithe is the last resort in the budget. Their giving to God is something that is at the bottom of their list of priorities. It's a weak argument before God to say, Lord, I didn't tithe because I couldn't afford it, especially when we consider that the poorest amongst us has a higher standard of living than 99% of the people who've ever walked on the face of the earth. And then Sproul would say, if we've been guilty of stealing from God in the past by withholding our tithe from him, that behavior must cease immediately and give way to a resolution to begin tithing at once, no matter what the cost. Okay? Now, again, this, this idea that if I just had more, I'd give more. Do you know that factually the opposite is true? The more people have, the less likely they are to tithe. All right, let me give you some stats here. Uh, they've traced Protestant giving over the last century. In uh, 1916, Protestants gave 2.9%. And then the Depression hit. Do you think tithing or the percentage went up or down? In 1933, during the Great Depression, it rose to 3.2%. Now, that's not a huge amount, but actual percentage went up. Then we hit the 50s. Happy days are here again. The economy recovered. Stayed at 3.2%. And then at uh, 2000, we were 450% richer than back in the 1916, back in 1916 but uh, the percentage was 2.6%. So the idea, well, if I just had more, I'd give more. In fact, look at this. Um, in general, the more money a person makes, the less likely he or she is to tithe. Uh, they did a study, and this is, this is a, a little bit old, but uh, people who made 20000 or under, 8% of them, Protestants, tithed. Those in the twenty to 40000 income category, the, the percentage who tithed went down to 5%. Those in the forty to sixty thousand dollar category, the percentage who tithe went down to four percent. Those in the, the sixty to seventy five thousand percent, and come on, that's where most of us live, right? Two percent tithe, and then those in the seventy five to hundred thousand dollar one percent tithe. So again, I'd give more if I had more. Sounds good. It doesn't, the hard, cold numbers don't add up, though. Okay? Now, um, I've given you two positions. The one position says that was old. Um, we're not under obligation. And then there's the other position that says uh, the moral law transfers. We are under obligation. Pastor, what do you believe? Okay? And, and by the way, you know what? Um, people who come to Valley Brook, they say, 
I love Valley Brook. Because you're not afraid to tell the truth. Bring it. Bring it hard. Right? Bring it, Pastor. Last week was on hell. We love that, that hell stuff. Bring it hard. Tithing? Ah, we get a little weak in the, the stomach when we talk about that. Do you want to bring it or do you want to not? Should we, should we end right now? Bring it or not? There's an open door. <laughs> All right. Um, here's, where, here's how I personally deal with tithing. Okay? If, if you want to get out from under it, grab one of those earlier quotes. That becomes your life verse and go for it. Okay? Um, or if you want to become Presbyterian, Sproul would be good. Grab him. Okay? Right. Um, here's the debate. Moses, God gave Moses the law, 1500 B.C. Then the church started on Pentecost, and here we are today. Do we look to the Mosaic law, or do we just look to the New Testament? So here's the debate, back and forth. Do we go here, or the Mosaic law? Here, or Mosaic law? Or what transfers from the Mosaic law to the New Covenant? And here's what I say. Let's skip that whole debate and go back to the patriarchs. To Abraham and Jacob, before the law was even given to Moses, Abraham and Jacob tithed. So I don't even want to get up in the uh, get caught up in the debate about what transfers from the Mosaic law. I want to go 500 years before the Mosaic law and look at the example first of all of Abraham. Abraham wins a war. He runs into a priest named Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, it says, Then Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. Abraham has a grandson named Jacob. God says to Jacob, Behold, I'm with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go... And I will, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I came, uh, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you, I will give a full tenth to you. All right. Now, um, I've read some of these guys who don't believe the church is obligated to tithe, and what they do with with uh, these two as they say well Abraham this was just a one time deal we don't read that he does this regularly but then you've got Jacob who promises that of all that he uh, gets he will tithe you know what they say about that they say well we have no record that he actually did it that's an argument from silence we, you, don't, you don't need a follow up passage to this Others say, well, Jacob wasn't in a good spiritual position here. He was, he was basically, you know, saying, well, God, if you do this, then I will do this. Well, you know what? How, how different is that than saying, Jesus, if you die for me, I give you my whole life and I will obey you and I will read you, your word and I will do this. Yeah, so I, I don't think their, their argumentation is that strong. So here's what I think we have to do. I think we have to at least look at, th- at these examples of the patriarchs tithing 
as Old Testament, maybe not commands, but examples that are hard to ignore in truly seeking after God and what he would have you do with your money. All right. Now, if you want a, you want a quick quote on getting out from it, I've given you those. Okay. On the other hand, in your theology of, uh, and I realize this is complicated with the whole old covenant, new covenant thing, but I, I think these pre-law examples of obedience to tithing makes this a universal thing for the people of God that we can't ignore. On the other hand, on the other hand, let me say this. There is not a clear command in the New Testament to give 10%. All right? Now, I told you I was going to revisit some of these guys who, who emphasize the fact that the New Testament doesn't command. Let's revisit one of them. Have I ever mentioned a guy named Piper before? Okay. Piper would be one who would say, you know, I, I see them taking the emphasis off in the New Testament on tithing. But here's why. I think God took the focus off giving a tithe in the early church because he wants his people to ask themselves a new question. The question that Jesus drives us to ask again and again is not how much should I give, but rather how much dare I keep. One of the differences between the Old Testament and New Testament is the Great Commission. By and large, the Old Testament people of God were not a missionary people, but the New Testament church is fundamentally a missionary people. The spiritual hope and the physical and emotional sustenance that Jesus brought to earth is to be extended by his church to the whole world. The task he gave us is so immense and requires such a stupendous investment of commitment and money that the thought of settling the issue of what we give by a fixed percentage, like a tenth, is simply out of the question. Now, here it comes. My own conviction is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely tithe are robbing God. In a world where 10,000 people a day starve to death and many more than that are perishing in unbelief, the question is not what percentage must I give, but how much dare I spend on myself? In a world of such immense need and in a country of such immense luxury and under the commission of such a powerful Lord, the issue of stewardship is not, shall I tithe, but rather how much of God's trust fund dare I use to surround myself with comforts? So there you go. His position is, yeah, the New Testament doesn't emphasize tithing. Why? To lower the standard? No, to take the cap off. Okay? Now, um, you go, are, are, are there any percentages mentioned in the New Testament? Let me give you some percentages. Jesus says, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. So that'd be 50%. All right? Zacchaeus, the tax collector, said, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them back four times the amount. So there we got about 50% again. Um, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's about 100%. Okay. Um, Luke 14.33. So therefore, whoever you, of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my 
disciple. Renounce. I don't think that means give it all to the church. I think it means give it all to God. This is my car, my house, my big screen TV, my dog, especially my dog. It's all yours, Lord. Okay. Um, And if you will allow me to live on some of it, great. But however, it's not mine. I'm just your manager, but it's all yours, Lord. So we can play the percentage game, but you're not going to win that game in the New Testament. Okay, so back to, uh, I'll skip a couple of these, but back to Piper. The best way that I know how to capture the spirit of the New Testament generosity is simply to say, the issue is not how much must I give, but how much dare I keep. Not shall I tithe, but how much of the money that I hold in trust for Christ can I take for my private use. The financial issue in the church today is not tithing, but exorbitance of lifestyle. The question is not, can I afford to tithe, but can I justify the lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? And behind that question is the question, do I love to use God's money to spread justice and mercy and spiritual hope in the world, or do I prefer to embezzle his money to purchase more and more personal comfort? And uh, By the way, D.A. Carson, same thing. He says, why not consider 20 or 30? Andreas Kostenberger, he's the one who said we're not, no longer under the tithe. But then he quotes Kaiser. I had Walt Kaiser as a professor, states that if a tenth was the minimal amount under the law, how can Christians do any less? Perhaps we should consider not how little, but how much we can give, seeing how richly blessed we are in Christ. Thomas Schreiner, even though tithing is not mandated, there is no call in the New Testament to hoard one's possessions or to live selfishly. For most believers in the West, that means giving more than a tithe. Okay? Now, um, all that to say, Pastor Brian, what do, what do you do? I, I think we need to look at the tithe as a godly example that cannot be ignored. Okay? Now, um, at this point, you're probably feeling pretty stressed out. Right? There is a blessing, though, attached to the tithe, okay? I mean, at this point, you feel like, how ca- I can't do this. Even if I wanted to do it, I can't do it, and it's tax time, and oh. Again, we need to obey God in the power of the Spirit, and, and let, me, let, me, let me ask God to fill our sails with, the, with spiritual obedience here, not man-made obedience, because man-made obedience will last about a week. Some of you might tithe next week, and then, whew, Back to, you know, man-made effort, it won't work. So here we need to, to look at the blessing that's attached to tithing. Now, remember, um, Jesus was up on the top of the temple, and Satan tempted him and said, jump. Right? Satan said to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus is looking like, I'm going to jump. Satan is saying, go ahead. You're promised that God will take care of you. And then Jesus turns to Satan. Jesus said to him again, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Be gone, Satan. You are not to to have God jump through hoops. I am not going to test God. You are not to test God. But there is an exception. And that's back in the Malachi verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Don't you find this a little intriguing? Bottom line, this whole issue forces you to ask, who do you ultimately believe provides your income? You? Is it really your cleverness and your hard work that provides your income? Or is it ultimately God? Do you think God could allow you to go broke tomorrow? could. Do you think he could allow you to prosper tomorrow? Now, here's the real issue. Do you think if you brought a full tithe that he would let you starve? Be honest. Do you think if you brought a full tithe, God would let your family starve? Or do you think he could provide? Now, you go, wait a minute, Pastor. Every week you slam the health wealth gospel. Right? Trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Why isn't this the health wealth gospel? Well, there's a difference between giving to get. There's a difference between that and obeying God and claiming his promise that he will provide. And he does promise to provide. Philippians 4.19, Paul in jail was just provided some money from Philippians who took up an offering. And then he writes back to them and says, And my God will meet all your needs, maybe not all your wants, but all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He'll meet your needs. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. He's just been talking about worrying about food and clothes. All these things will be added to you. Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Some of us are really good at doctrine, holding to doctrinal truth, but living the practical life, actually practically trusting God is really difficult. Here's a really great way to, to weekly, practically demonstrate to your spouse, to your kids, to everybody else, that you are trusting God not only as your Savior, but as your material provider. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word, while sometimes difficult to interpret due to theological complexities, I thank you that it's really not that hard. And Father, I pray that you would work faith in us trust in in us that we can trust you not only with our salvation but with our finances and lord i pray that as we trust you would provide lord there are those amongst us who have no income coming in 
I pray, Lord, that you would provide. I pray, Lord, for those who are richly, abundantly blessed, that they would be moved to help those in need. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would take your word, we would love it, we would obey it, and trust you for the results. And thank you that you are a trustworthy God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.